Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Tracy, for that wonderful reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Good morning. My name is Pastor Jeffrey, and I am thrilled to be here. Just a little bit about myself before I dive into God's word. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. Been living out here in New York for about nine years. I am a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. And currently, I am in a year of transition. I'm currently serving in a role of chief of staff at a healthcare company but still seeking out God's calling uh, for my role in the church. Um, A fun fact about me, um, oh, my wife is here as well, so if you get a chance, please talk to her. She's an amazing person, and everyone should get to know her. And, uh, um, oh, her name is Christine. Sorry, sorry. Just assumed that you all knew her. And... um, Fun fact about me, I'm a longtime New York Jets fan since 98, yes, so I have a unique perspective on hopelessness and despair, so if you want to talk about that, I am glad to talk about that and commiserate with you and pray with you, brothers and sisters. Um, Pastor Robert asked me if I would come and preach um, here at a Beacon, and I was honored to do so, and so thank you for having me. It is an honor to deliver God's word to you all. And when he told me the series I'd be preaching in, I was pretty excited. The memeing of life. I like what he did there. And I like memes. I love memes. I'm always looking at them on Instagram and um, Twitter, and I'm always laughing because they take um, complex issues, um, very serious issues, and they're able to capture the sentiment pretty quickly. 
and with words and pictures. And so it is a good way to jump into what people are um, dealing with, what people are um, thinking about. And so I think if Paul were here today, that is the Apostle Paul, he would have a meme here for our passage. He would say, church, this is what is going on in the church. Here is the problem that the church faces today. And he would have probably generated this meme. Oops, how do I go back? There you go. The distracted boyfriend meme. This is the problem with most churches because they are supposed to be gung-ho about heaven. They're supposed to be um, thinking about heaven, but oftentimes earth comes along and they get distracted. And here then people began to stray away, go different directions, and so on. And so Paul writes this message to the Colossians to say, please, refocus, look back, look to heaven, look to Christ who is your Savior, and you will regain focus. And that's what I want to investigate today. What does it mean for Beacon to refocus? What does it mean for any church to focus and to have their eyes on heaven? So we'll dive quickly into this text right now. The first four verses say this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verses 1 through 4 is the foundation of the verses that come after. You have to understand and we have to be confirmed in our convictions of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, since then you have been raised with Christ. And so the first question we all need to ask ourselves is this, how do we know that we have been raised with Christ? How do you know? The question is asking, how do you know that you are a Christian? And there are two basic questions that you need to answer. And if you um, answer in the affirmative, then you have been raised with Christ. You are a believer. The first question is this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? If the answer is yes, praise God. Second, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God? If you do, praise God. Saying yes to these two questions means you have been raised with Christ and your eternal life is secure. Now, most people would say, nah, that's too easy. That's all? That's all it takes to be a Christian? And look, we live in a Christian culture, so it may seem like it's not a big deal, but if you really think about it, it's huge. It's never lost on me that I have dedicated my life to a man who was born 2,000 years ago in Israel, and now I follow him and I say, I will give my life for him. It's crazy. It's insane, but there's no other truth that I can believe in. So it's no small thing to believe in these things. Now, I've done youth group before, and everyone says, I don't know. My parents are Christian. I'm just adopting their beliefs, in which I quickly respond, do you listen to at least 90% of the things your parents say? In which they respond, actually, no, I don't. And so why all of a sudden are you believing in Jesus? And they said, that's a great question. 
Because on so many things that our parents teach us and try to make us believe certain things, and oftentimes we as children will say, I don't believe that. Come on, I'm a grown-up. But yet, for whatever reason, we believe in Christ. And to parents, I want to tell you this. If your children believe in Jesus, praise God. It is no small feat that they believe. And even Jesus says so himself. These things are not revealed to you by simple teachings. What does he say to Peter, when Peter confesses these two questions, he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, he says, This has not been revealed to you by blood and flesh, but by the living God. It is the Holy Spirit who has pierced your heart to make you see the truth. It is the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of you that informs you that you are loved by God. And it is that same spirit that is now driving you to set your sights above. So brothers and sisters, since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind above. Now what does that mean? Does that mean I just look up? What now? No, that's not what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit is saying, look to your future self. Your future self should inform your present self. Your future self in heaven should be informing you now. Now, oftentimes, I think in America, we have it backwards. A lot of the times, who's informing our present selves is usually our high school selves. I I read in an article, they say most people are trying to impress the 16-year-old version of themselves. They always daydream, man, if I went back to high school and they saw my wife, my husband, they'd be so happy. Man, if my 16-year-old saw what job I have, amazing. But yet, if you go down that road, we make a lot of wrong decisions. No offense to 16-year-olds, but there's a lot of life to live. And so what the Holy Spirit is convicting of is what do you see in heaven? And this is a thing that helps us drive towards the Christian life. It's a, it's a practice we use um, in marathon training. I'm, I'm a runner. And one of the things I always visualize when I don't want to run is me crossing the finish line. New York City Marathon, the crowd, the people, what it will feel like, the feeling. I always imagine that as I'm in the present situation training. And it usually propels me to keep going on. And so here the Holy Spirit is saying, look to your future self in heaven to inform what you need to do right now. Now, as I was thinking about this, I ran into another problem. What is your vision of yourself in heaven? I remember I asked myself this a couple years ago, and I realized I had a really weird picture. It was me in a white robe. I don't know why I'm in a white robe. And then it's me sitting on, at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus is on a throne, and it's empty. And it's just me and him sitting there. I'm thinking, that's a weird picture. Why do I think about that? And it's largely because the media has portrayed it, that heaven is something that's only between you and Jesus. But if you read scriptures, when you picture yourself in heaven, you are surrounded by people. It is a party. If you don't see heaven as a party, you already have the wrong picture. 
It is you with a myriad of believers coming together, adoring Jesus together. It is not an individual endeavor. And this is so important to Paul's point. I know it says you, but Paul is speaking to a church. He says, envision all of you. Look to the left. Look to the right. Those are the people you are going to be with in heaven, and you are going to be celebrating with Jesus. And that is the picture that needs to be ingrained in our mind and think about. And what is happening in heaven? We are enjoying each other's company. We are loving one another. We are doing community with one another. So how does that inform our present selves today? Look to the left. Look to the right. Learn to love each other. The reason Jesus Christ came and died for your sins is, yes, so that you would have a relationship with him, but so that you would also have relationships with each other. Literally, it took Jesus to come as a man and die for our sins so that we would come into the same room. I know some of you may be friends, and yeah, if you weren't Christian, you would have met and talked, but I think a majority of you, there was no way that you would have been friends or had built a relationship if it weren't for Jesus. And so as you look around and you realize that the Holy Spirit is saying, not just don't look up at Christ, but look at one another. Now, there's some common objections um, that usually um, arise. Um, And one of the common objections is, isn't the goal of salvation to get into heaven? Uh, I'm new to this PowerPoint thing, so forgive me. But isn't the goal of heaven to get into a place? Right? I thought, why is this? Why are you emphasizing getting to know each other and having these relationships with one another? Isn't heaven primarily about a place? And I want to say, yes, it is. But us getting into heaven is just the beginning of our journey. That is not the end. Sorry. It is not the end. It is only the beginning. And this is the example I always bring up to everyone when I talk to about their salvation in Christ. Our salvation in Christ is like getting into Disneyland. Sorry, is is this? Maybe the Lord doesn't want me to show you Disneyland. (laughs) But here is a picture of us, uh, or a picture of me, or... I don't know what to do. So... We go to Disneyland, and here you enter into the gates. Now, if some of you may have been to Disney World or Disneyland, and there's a great joy of entering, right? You finally parked, you've worked so long, you you get your ticket, and you enter, and that's what we see in L.A. And it's so much fun. People always take a picture right there, and they're finally, they are finally glad that they are here. Maybe the Lord is rebuking me? But here in Disneyland... What I want you to imagine a family, a mother and a father talking to their children, and they're saying, we're finally here in Disneyland. Isn't it amazing? And it is. It's great. It's awesome. It's everything that we dreamed of. And then the parents say, all right, to their nine-year-old kids, we're going to go see Mickey. We're going to go eat great food, and I can't wait for you to um, ride on Space Mountain. And then the nine-year-old goes, that's okay, Mom and Dad. I just wanted to get into Disneyland. I don't need to do all those things. 
And the parents look, excuse me? The child say, yeah, you know how hard it was to get into here, and I know how much you suffered and, 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 and toiled for this. I just want to stay here and enjoy the entrance. It would be bizarre, right? You would say, that makes no sense. That is not the point of Disneyland. It is just not to enter. Yet so many Christians have this mentality. I'm saved. Why do I need to love other people? Why do I need to do all these things? But they're not obligations that the Lord is requiring upon you. He's telling you to ride the rides. You have been saved. Now go ride the rides. Go into relationship to one another. Please go and experience this kingdom that I have brought to you. And that is what the Lord is saying to us. And that's why, yes, Getting converted, being saved is an amazing experience, but it is not the end all. Now, I'm emphasizing that we have to love one another, and I keep pushing that. Love one another. Love one another here at Beacon. And another objection that often comes up is, but shouldn't we love other people? It's so easy to love people at Beacon, in which I would respond in saying, yes, you are to love other people, but I'm saying prioritize the people here at Beacon. Paul, as he writes out this letter, actually ranks, you might not know it, but ranks the relationships that he sees as most important. And the number one relationship he sees as the most important is your relationships here at church. More than the relationship that comes after, if you look in your Bibles, more than husband and wife, more than your children, more than your work relationships, and even more than your relationships with non-Christians. Now, he's not saying don't love any of them, neglect them. He's saying you have to love all of them. But the most important relationship that you will experience as you've entered into the kingdom of heaven is the one that you have one another. And this is not a new teaching, right? Jesus has taught this before. Who is my mother and who is my brother? Those whom the Lord has entered, granted access into the kingdom of heaven. And this is the big push that Paul is making for. And that's the only reason verse 11 makes sense. He says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You are no longer defined by your relationships outside of the church. What is most important is the relationships you have here and how you pursue it. And for those who say that loving people at their church is easy, I would say that you haven't explored your church enough. <laughs> I remember a, a pastor, he is also a professor at Duke University, he came up and he spoke to a bunch of pastors and um, he was talking about just the difficulties of church. And I think every pastor can resonate with it. And he said, the one thing I love about academia, because, again, he's also a professor, is I love the application process. Because in the application process, you get to reject people. <laughs> you get to see them and say, I don't want to spend time with them. Rejected. <laughs> wow, look at this person. Amazing. Accept them. But then he says, but in the church, you must love anyone who comes through those doors. And then he sighed, and then he was finished with his lecture. 
Now it's odd because he was talking to pastors, so I think he was getting real, but that is the difficulty of loving because the Lord brings everybody and anybody into church. And especially with the size of Beacon, I'm sure there are so many people here that are so different and it's going to be hard to love each other, but that is the most exciting thing that we get to do. It is a privilege that we get to love people that are different from us, in which we don't have a lot of commonalities, in which we don't have understandings or miscommunications. We get to learn how to love each other, and it is thrilling. So, how do we get to loving one another well? How do we get from this meme, finally, to this meme? How do we get there? where we're focused on heaven and earth is absolutely just disgusted with us. First, we must put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Now, I'm not going to go too much into this because I think people have talked about it before and this is not what I really want to emphasize. So me glossing over it does not mean it's unimportant. I just want to make that point. But I think other people have done it well, and I want to get more to the other points in our limited time. One thing I do want to talk about this is this. We must put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. When God is saying that, he is saying this so that you may experience the glories of God and his kingdom. Now, this is important because I know I've been in many churches, and many of us are still suffering from sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and the list goes on, angers, impatience, lying to each other, harboring hatred towards one another. People in church still have that. And the Lord is saying, put to death those sins. But the question is, why? Why is he telling us to put those death to sins? Some may think it's because if I don't do these things or if I commit these sins, God is disappointed with me. No. That is furthest from the truth. Why God wants you to put to death these things is because he wants you to experience the great love and relationships that you can have with other people. If you have these things, you cannot experience the heavenly love God is providing. I want to go back to my Disneyland example. Finally, the parents convinced the kid to go into Disneyland. And he's having fun. He rode Space Mountain. He's having a great time. They're about to go take pictures with Mickey. But then all of a sudden, what does he see? Cotton candy. <laughs> Glorious Lord, he sees cotton candy. He sees a blue one and he sees a pink one. It has Mickey's big face on it. He says, Mom, Dad, I want cotton candy. And the parents say, no, son, it's 10 a.m. You will have it after lunch. No, I want it now. They say, no, it's okay. I promise it's going to be so much better after lunch. Trust us. No, I want three of them right now. <laughs> now in that interaction, we laugh because we understand the intentions of the parents. Why are the parents denying them these things or trying to control the kid? Because they know what's best for the kid. In no situation do we think the parents are actually saying, if you don't listen to me, I will cut you off from the family. Right? <laughs> But yet somehow we think about that way with our relationship with God the Father. Some of you are suffering with these sins, and I don't want to minimize them, but know this, that God loves you, and why he's telling you to put these sins to death is because he wants the best for you. Do not feel judged or condemned by God. Feel his love, and that will propel you forward. Do not feel condemned. 
feel his love, see the bigger picture, and see what God wants you to experience. So, what is the next thing he wants us to experience? He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and over all these virtues, put on love. This is why we were saved, so that we can use these superpowers. Compassion, kindness, humility. These are not characteristics that should that excite us, but it should. These are the things that the Holy Spirit has gifted us to use on one another. And when that happens, amazing and beautiful things begin to happen. Putting on these virtues is equivalent to riding the rides at Disneyland. The Father is saying, you now get to do all these things and you have the power to do it. Now, it doesn't get a lot of media attention. It doesn't get a lot of likes, but it is powerful and profound. Think about it. Why do we still talk about Jesus today? You ever think about that? Is it because he was a great philosopher? Actually, no. Yes, Jesus is wise, but on the ethologies of philosophy and other things, it's not that impressive. Do we admire Jesus because he was a great carpenter? You guys ever think about that? 15 years of Jesus' life was making chairs and tables. But who cares? Why do we talk about Jesus? Not only us, but the world still talk about Jesus. Because of the love he showed the world. 2,000 years later, and we still come out on Sundays, and we give him praise because of the love. Jesus, from head to toe, is draped in compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Jesus is our guide, and Jesus wants to clothe beacon in the same way. People of God, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the same clothes that Jesus wears. And so the goal of beacon should be this. The people... Here out in Long Island and maybe New York State should be talking about you for the next two to three hundred years. Now people always smirk when I say that because this should be the goal of every church, but it's possible. You should love so greatly that grandchildren will talk about this church. They'll say, whatever happened at Beacon was amazing. It's a place where I felt accepted and loved. The world rejected me. The world had no answers. But yet at Beacon, I found who I was. I found Jesus Christ. I found that I'm loved. And I found that I'm going to an eternal party that will last forever. Praise be to God. People of God, that is the goal of every church to be known. Now, many churches just want to stay put, make sure we don't need to know, people don't need to know our names, in which I say, no, you're shooting too low. Ride the rides. Move beyond the entrance of Disneyland. Experience the great glory of God. Now, this is hard, very hard, but this is the thing that you must remember. That you cannot do it alone, but you must do this. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. 
If you go out of here and just say, okay, Pastor Jeffrey said I need to be more compassionate, I'm going to be nicer, you will fail. You cannot just be nicer. It's actually very hard. And this, there should be warning labels that come with be compassionate, kind, and, pay, um, and humble. It will wreck you. It will be the hardest thing that you will ever do in your life. To love someone when people hate you is nearly impossible. But we have the Spirit. And the Spirit says that you cannot do this by yourself or your own volition. Let the message, message of Christ dwell among you richly. Brothers and sisters, when you talk to one another, talk about the gospel. Talk about Jesus and what he is doing for you, what he's done for you. Paul says, teach and admonish one another in the gospel. This is how you will have the power, the endurance to clothe yourself in the virtues of love. And there's one thing I want to point out as I begin to close, but one thing that is, I think, somewhat undervalued and uh, neglected in the churches today is singing. It's interesting to know that in these passages, when Paul is saying teach and admonish one another, he doesn't say, by listening to your pastors. If I had written the Bible, that's what I would have put. Listen to me. Everything will be good. But uniquely, Paul writes right here, by singing songs to one another. Isn't that strange? Singing songs to one another. Why is Sunday so important? Because this is your opportunity to sing to one another. You are not singing to the band. You are not singing to Pastor Robert or Pastor Trevor. You are singing to God and to one another. And it's profound of the effects. And I've learned this through my ministry to brothers and sisters at the near end of their life. There's something about music, and I can't explain it. When I'm with brothers and sisters at the end of life, I've had the privilege of guiding a couple brothers and sisters to see Jesus. And every time we go there, we never talk about pastors' greatest hits. We don't talk about messages. We don't have Bible studies. Actually, sometimes we read Scripture to them, but sometimes their minds are gone, and so we can't really communicate with them. But what has proved powerful? We open up a hymn, and we start singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And instantly, tears start rolling down their eyes because they remember. My brothers and sisters are here. I'm going home. Singing the gospel to one another powerfully affects our souls. And it keeps us focused, looking above to Christ. And in heaven, we will eat, drink, and sing together. That is what the Bible has promised. There will be no more preaching. Praise God. <laughs> but there will be music still. And it shows in Revelations that the choruses of people come from all parts of the land and we sing together. I'm glad we're having communion today because that's a glimpse of what heaven is. Eating, drinking, just hugging each other and saying, praise be to God that you are here, brothers and sisters.
And this is how we minister to each other. So this is my charge to you, brothers and sisters, to keep your eyes on Christ. Do so by singing hymns and spiritual songs to one another, reminding of the great glories of Christ. My charge to you is leave the entrance of Disneyland. Ride the rides. Run. Run to him and enjoy the great kingdom of God.